With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you so much for tuning in to the premiere episode of Sharpen Steel as we look to sharpen our minds and yours with another exciting week of sports and lifestyle talk. My name is Chris, and let me be the first to introduce you to one of the co-hosts of the show, Dan. Daniel, take it away. Hey, everybody. I am super excited to be starting off this wonderful journey with four awesome dudes. Um, I'm going to be your specialist in all things football. And when I say that, I mean soccer for all those North Americans and all things finance. I'm a Red Wings advocate. I'm going to talk about dad life a bit throughout this podcast. And yeah, let's kick this off. I'm going to pass this off over to Paul. Hey, thanks, Dan. Yeah, I'm uh, privileged to be here with you gentlemen, uh, working this out, kind of talking about some things we're all passionate about. Uh, I'm a I'm a hockey guy. I'm a golf guy. Lucky enough to spend a little time in the United States uh, on a Division One scholarship. Played uh, all around North America, which has been great. Uh, looking forward to just hashing them some things out, talking it over, and getting down to the nitty gritty on things. And obviously, I'm right all the time. And uh, we'll throw it over to Robbie. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Robbie here. Uh, I was originally signed on just to edit these episodes, but now you're going to be forced to listen to me complain about a number of things. I think we're going to have a lot of fun on here. I'm looking forward to it. I'm probably here mainly for my limited knowledge in movies and music, but I will act as if I know all of it. In terms of sports, I'm the worst fantasy sports player in the group of the four of us, but I won't act as such. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. And again, my name is Chris, and, and I'm going to be a little bit wider range in sports and uh, and movies as well as, as we get going here. Hopefully, we can bring you guys some some education and some entertainment along the way. So what did you guys get up to this week? Uh, anybody watch the World Junior Final this past week? What did you guys think? It was a shocker. Really thought the Canadian uh, national team there was going to take it down, but Americans pulled it out. You know, when you play stout defense like that, don't give up a goal. Can't win if you don't score. You know, kudos to the uh, U.S. team and congratulations that side. Yeah, couldn't couldn't put one measly Gino up on the board. My gripe here is with, uh, with Chof's lock of the week last week. Just really letting me down. I had a lot of money on there. Uh, one of my kids are now gone. They're a foster child because I bet the kids, I bet the house, I bet the farm. It's all gone. It's all gone. Everything. We'll look to get that back later on in the show. But do you guys think that the if there had been fans there, the result would have been different? I think it's got to be. Fans change the environment in every sport ever. Not necessarily change the outcome of saying Canada might have won, but there might have been different goals. There might have been different penalties, and that can change the game. Fans change the game 100%. You, I don't think you can even argue otherwise, but they, they would have changed it one way or another for sure. Yeah, I think you can even extend that to you know the NFL playoffs this week, right? The Seahawks and notorious for their 12th man, their, their you know, audience and crowd and, and absolute you know, seismic activity that they bring to the table. They were nothing without them. And I think that's the same for a lot of these home teams. You know, the Raptors, big difference playing down south and not being in Toronto. So... Yes, crowd is certainly a big factor, but at the end of the day, you still got to show up. 
and they didn't. So it is what it is. Let's get into the real nitty gritty here with what the people want to know, and especially our target demographic and audience. What were your guys' first impressions of The Bachelor Matt James? I mean, you guys know my take on reality TV. I'm just shocked that people think that contestants on a reality TV show that requires them to propose to another person they just met after knowing they had numerous relationships with other people on television think that these people are looking for love. Well, look, at you know, not only is it uh, nail biting each and every episode and you want to know who's going to mess up uh, to start with, who's going to be public enemy number one you know every season there seems to be one person that they all gang up on maybe it's a survival instinct maybe they genuinely just like them but these first few episodes it's kind of fun to watch them go through see who they're going to gang up on who they're going to target and that person just absolutely become a villain rightly or wrongly but boy does it make for great watching if i told you you could turn tune in every monday night and you could see a queen, a legitimate descendant of Queen Victoria going up against someone who goes to a cocktail party and brings a fresh vibrator to ease the tension. Jeez. What, what individual would not want to tune into that? Paul, when you say these people team up on someone, can you just clarify what that means for myself and the other listeners who don't know literally what that means? Oh my goodness. Heaven forbid you ask to talk to the bachelor or bachelorette more than one time, especially those first few weeks, because it all goes notice. They all sit there with their watches. They look cool with their drinks, but they're seeing who's going out, who's coming in. And if they notice that Cheryl has gone out twice today or interrupts someone else, oh yeah, they are done with. They start ridiculing them. They start getting the hands in there. They start pushing. Sounds ugly. If it's exciting enough. And we need to explain how important time is, Robbie, because in the last season of The Bachelorette, the first Bachelorette had chosen her man in the first instance of meeting him. And she walked off after four episodes. She didn't even go through the whole season. She found love. She found her love. Hey, and furthermore, what gives you the right to judge anybody on how they find love? You find love wherever you find love. And I say good on them for going on national television, finding love while entertaining us. I'm going to say one thing about this season, looking forward to it. I think Matt James has a great future ahead of him, and I think it's going to be a great season. But let's move on to our first topic of the show. The NHL season is beginning on Wednesday, January 13th, and we thought it would be a good time to do a little bit of an NHL preview and what we expect from this season. We're going to see crazy divisions, new playoff matchups, and an entirely Canadian division with a 56-game regular season this year, which will be as unique as last year's playoffs. This, apparently, is only going to be a one-year run with these ideas, so we'll have to enjoy it while they last. And then we'll be back to our traditional divisions next year with the same old playoff matchups that we see every single year. Tampa Bay and Boston, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. The same old, same old. So let's get into what we can expect this year. We're not even at the season yet, and we've already seen COVID hit the Dallas Stars locker room this week. Do you think the season is going to be completed in full? Yeah, I think this season's going to finish full time. Uh, just like you said last week, Chof, you got the doomsday media in sports. Uh, you know, we kind of thought it's run our course, but that's a different story. 
I think they finish the season, but there's going to be a bunch of hiccups, similar to what you saw with the 76ers on Saturday night. They have nine guys dressed. They got Dwight Howard playing point guard. No one knows what's going on. But things like this are going to happen before they even think about canceling the season. I think if they cancel the season, it's going to take Rudy Gobert to barge into a postgame presser and molest every microphone they got on the table for them to cancel this season. Yeah, I'll piggyback off that, Robbie. I love the analogy there on the Rudy Gobert, taking it back 12 months to when he did that. I, I completely forgot about that scenario until then. But, you know, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of coaches coming out and saying, you know, with players and staff and everything else, age being a factor. And, and a lot of these coaches are in their 60s and you have to think about, you know, their health too. Is there a chance that as numbers skyrocket, they start to postpone some of these games? Or we see another bubble situation like last year? realistically, you know, NHL in particular has designed their divisions to accommodate for this. And so I think the answer at the end of the day will be yes, but will there be some hiccups or will there be a potential bubble that will extend into the summer again? There's a good chance of that. I'm, I'm probably leaning towards that than anything else. I wonder if they basically limit the season. It's to a point and they're like, you know what, we're going to have eight more games or each team is going to play two more games and that's it. I wonder if it could come down to that. That would be interesting. I think you're going to see a situation where we end up with something like last year, where we end up with a points per game ending up on how the standings are finalized come May when the season is slated to end. I think it's going to be like the MLB where COVID will get into some teams. Some teams will have to postpone games or cancel games. And at the end of the day, there's no double headers like in baseball. So at the end of the day, you might have a team that has 53 games, 52 games, 54 games at the end of the year. But at the when it's all said and done, the playoffs will likely be determined by points per game and we'll head into the playoffs from there. Now, the playoffs just ended back in the summer. So one of the shortest off-seasons in NHL history, not as short as the NBA, but it is definitely one of the shortest off-seasons in NHL history. But we did see free agency and the draft, and, and there was a lot of off-season movement that some of our listeners may need to be caught up on. What is the biggest impactful off-season transaction in your mind? I'm going to say Jacob Markstrom going to the Flames. And, you know, he played a, a big role with Vancouver's success and their run through the playoffs. And I think, you know, with the Flames, he adds that extra little oomph that maybe they were, well, I'm not even going to say missing because they do like Rich and Net. But, you know, as a nice side piece, you get a nice one-two punch in the goalie. And I think that's going to be a big difference for the Flames. You know, I think for a, a hometown team being the Leafs I have to think about the depth that they've added uh, with Simmons a little bit more nitty-gritty um, they've kind of gone into the offseason looking at ways to improve not only they have great firepower but how can they get better defensively and I think um, one of the best ways that they could have improved their team at a Stanley Cup run for this year would be to get uh, get someone that can get in those corners throw an elbow if they had to let the other team think twice before taking a run at one of their all-stars and, and the Leafs have, have many of those in all three of their top lineups there. So I, I would say that uh, although it's not a big blockbuster, um, it kind of fills that need that the Toronto Maple Leafs have had over the last couple of years to get them over that hump and hopefully um, bring home a, a Stanley Cup uh, for the first time in over 50 years. A few years ago, we saw Connor McDavid go first, and, and the secondary prize for the Buffalo Sabres was Jack Eichel. And the Sabres have struggled. They haven't been able to surround Jack Eichel with anything of any use for him to try to help the team get better. And I think finally this year, getting Taylor Hall 
a, a former MVP candidate into Buffalo is definitely going to improve that team and it's going to turn them into contenders for a playoff spot. They may not be able to get there this year. They are in a very competitive East division, but I do think in terms of improving a team and improvement that we can expect, the Buffalo Sabres are going to be much better and it's going to be because Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel are going to play together and they're going, you're going to see more goals and a competitive Sabres team. You know, I like that point, and I, I like what Hall brings to the Sabres. You know, it's a very, what I would call, team-friendly deal. They sign him for one year. Best case scenario, he, he goes off, he does well for himself, he gets some big money at the end of the year, and maybe the Sabres make the playoffs after a nice long drought. Worst case scenario, he sucks, he doesn't live up to the expectation and the hype, and they let him go after a year. I think it's a win-win for both parties. Great signing for the Sabres, and it gives Eichel someone nice to play with, right? Some motivation to stay on the team and to say that, you know, for your franchise player, you're going to bring some good people in. So kudos to the Sabres for that. All right, let's get into some award predictions here, and we're going to start with the Art Ross. Who do we think is going to get the most points this season? I got the grade eight Alex Ovechkin. Not only do I think he's going to win the Art Ross this year, but I think it's going to be four more seasons before he breaks Gretzky's all-time goal record. Wow. So there's actually, let's go off on a sidebar here. Ovechkin's catching Gretzky's record was definitely uh, starting to become mainstream news last at the beginning of last season. But with the, sh- the short season this year and the short season last year, he might not have enough time to get there now. So that will definitely be something to watch if he can get 30 to 40 goals this year still on a 56-game season. It should keep him on track. Well, I think he's just going to have to uh, take after Yermer Yager and play well into his 40s. Well into his 40s. I'm going to go with the uh, kind of the easy pick. I'm going to go with Connor McDavid to win the Ross. I just think he's surrounded by Dreisaitl and there's just there's too many good options there to help him get points. And he's just he's just too good. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Tough to argue against McDavid. You can say that maybe Dreisaitl takes it again, but I think McDavid stays healthy, leads the Oilers to the playoffs. They have a deep run and... And part of that's getting those, you know, one, two, almost three points per game, uh, which is what he's known for. So Art Ross winner. Yeah, guys, it pains me to be uh, throwing this name out there, but I have to say Jack Eichel is my pick this year. I think uh, with the positive moves that they made on the wings uh, with uh, Taylor Hall, as well as um, Eric Stahl on the second line, I think now there's going to be less of a focus on him up the middle. So it's going to give him a little more breathing room week in, week out. And I, I think he's going to be able to put the biscuit in the basket quite uh, regularly throughout the year and go up there to the top shelf, get the cookie jar, and uh, we'll be singing his praises all season. I think uh, he's going to have a breakout season this year. He's been trending up each year, and I think he's got the skill set. Now he's got the players around him, uh, those extra parts to, to help him out. So I think he's going to, he's going to take it this year. Lord knows the Sabres need a good season. So let's, uh, let's move on to the Norris Trophy uh, and who's going to win the best defenseman of the year. Dougie Hamilton. I think he had a great shot at it last year if it wasn't for um, a couple weeks of illness and injury and really set him back a little bit, especially going you know, through that bubble hole phase. But I think this year, it's going to be his year. He's got a great set of you know, defensemen around him that he plays with, power play. He's going to do well. Carolina's going to do well, and it's going to be on the shoulders of Dougie Hamilton. I got Victor Hedman winning it this year. I know last year he was a runner-up, which was nice to see. I think in the last few years, he's really started to sprout 
become the player that I think everyone hoped he would be since the draft. And uh, Tampa Bay's been going far. Obviously, you go the complete distance last year winning the Cup, but uh, I think they're going to go far this year in the playoffs. And I think it's going to be a lot to do with Mr. Hedman. Yeah, again, I'm going to have to throw a name out there that really hurts me, uh, hurts me in the heart. I think I'm going to have to say Shea Weber. I think he's going to uh, clap really make, really make some moves, clap him in there pretty hard. And uh, I think with the divisions the way they are, I think these players are really going to revel playing only Canadian teams nine times each or so, playing Ottawa so often, uh, playing Toronto so often, so close. I think that these guys, they're going to really build up some bad energy between them. And it's Shea Weber is going to be the kind of guy that's going to build off that energy and really um, focus it in on making his play the best possible. So that's my, uh, that's my lock for the, for the year. You guys have some high draft picks in there that are in the deep stages of their careers. I'm going to go a little bit different here and go draft schmaft and, and go with someone that came out of the collegiate level. And I'm going to say Quinn Hughes from the Vancouver Canucks is going to be your Norris winner. He, uh, he had a great first full season last year. And I think he's only going to continue to get better. And, you know, his brother Jack went number one overall a couple years ago. May, might be too early to call him a bust. He is. But I'm going to say that Quinn Hughes is going to be your Norris winner this year. All right, let's move on to the Vesna Trophy. Who's going to take home the top goaltending award? Carter Hart for the Philadelphia Flyers. Had a great run playoffs. Youngest goaltender in Flyers history to set some shutouts, back-to-back shutouts in the playoffs. Led them pretty deep, and I think this year they have another shot of going deep. And it's all on the shoulders of this kid. You know, I think it's his third full season there. Third full season in the pros. And he's doing he's doing some wonderful things. So with that team and that defensive core, that strong run that they I, I fully expect them to make this year and possibly division winners, I'm seeing a Vesna for this kid. All right, my pick is going to be the now two-time Vesna winner, Carey Price. I got to pick the Canadian team. And another thing that's kind of, I just thought of is, I think this is where last week we talked about, do asterisks come in with the divisions being so separated? So how does someone win the Vesna if, let's say, they're in a division that has much less scoring than another division? So the numbers can get skewed there. But that's another story. I got Carey Price, Montreal Habs, winning the Vesna this year for his second time. So I also have Carey Price winning the Vesna, and I'm going to pick back off, off you here, and I'm going to say the Montreal Canadiens went out and got Jake Allen to be their backup goalie. So that means that Carey Price does not have to play back-to-back games anymore when they play on back-to-back nights because they have a real backup goalie, and they're not throwing out some guy that they picked up that probably played in Junior B hockey last year, the last couple years that they've been doing. So he's going to play probably 40 to 45 games of this season. But we have to also remember that nine of those games are going to be against the Ottawa Senators. There's not going to be many goals scored those games. Stinky poop. So I oh, see no, they're bad. They're I, bad. I see a high level of shutouts, a low GAA, and a high save percentage for the 2021 Vesna winner, Carey Price. Two time. Yeah, guys, year in, year out, Carey Price is a, is a, is a go-to guy. You know, he never misses... Um, he always has solid seasons, but, uh, finally, finally, we've come to the pride and joy of the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is Anderson, you know, Frederick, finally, he's going to have the 
defense in front of him, the nitty gritty that I talked about earlier. He's a notorious slow starter. Uh, I believe over the last uh, two seasons, he's had a losing record coming out of that first month. But I think uh, the way it's set up uh, with the season and who they've put in front of him now, I think he's going to come out like a cannon and he's going to be an unbelievable uh, goalie this year. A lot of goals uh, for not a lot of goals against, which makes for a winning season for our Toronto Maple Leafs. The one good thing that Anderson has going for him is not only does he get to play the Senators, but he also gets to play the Canadians, which Carey Price does not get to do. Yeah, I love how you guys all pick goaltenders in the North Division. And I want to take a step back to say with all the next-gen stats that we have available and at our fingertips, these voters are going to come back and they're going to look at the actual difficulty of division and game. What kind yeah, of fucking next-gen stats this... are you looking at here? Miles per hour of shot, average miles per hour shot faced? Maybe facing with the worst team in the league nine times where you got I, Carter I Hart that facing one of the toughest stats. divisions ever. You're going to go up against Ovechkin and Marshawn and all these other legitimate great teams that any one of them can make it to the playoffs or win that division. And then you got the North Division that's basically going to say it's a crapshoot between the Leafs and maybe the Oilers if their defense can hold out. I, I think you guys are taking the easy road here, and I think voters are going to recognize that. And Carter Hart's going to be our winner. What a world we live in where statisticians can take into account teams playing hard teams. Wow. All right, and the last award that we're going to give out is the Hart Trophy. So I'm going to give it to Connor McDavid, who was also my Ross trophy winner um again not a huge sexy pick but uh that's who i think is going to win the heart i got the exact same unsexy pick as chove i like that we're thinking the same thing for the vesna and the heart i got Connor mcdavid taking it and uh i got edmonton going deep may it be a clean sweep with all four of us Connor mcdavid no doubter you can give it to him now let him clear room into his trophy cabinet let him put it there 2020 it's a no-brainer and dan's gonna come on and potentially give a, a another name and if he does big mistake dan's got the next gen stats to to call it for it may be a big mistake but i'm telling you right now that austin matthews is gonna have a breakthrough year and all you leaf fans are gonna come back to it and you're gonna say thank you dan for encouraging him and allowing him to break out of that shell that he has been so tightly woven into. And he's going to be our heart winner. Austin Matthews. Hey, I, I like that take. I like that take. As uh, You know what, guys? Uh, I have to say, uh, I have to take back what I just said. Dan's on a good mind frame there. He's kind of got thought it all through. And I see that possibly happening for sure. Said the Leafs fan. Possibly happening for sure. <laughs> maybe with the uh, confidence that we're putting into it, maybe we can get him on the show if he wins the heart. So we'll stay tuned for that, everybody. Uh, next uh, question that I have for you guys, and hopefully we get some, uh, some educational takes here uh, to inform the people of what they can expect and inform our listeners. What is your surprise of the season going to be? All right, my surprise of the season is a little takeoff. The end of my Hart Trophy winner, I said there, I got a Canadian team winning the Stanley Cup, and that team is the Edmonton Oilers, captained by the Hart winner, Connor McDavid. You know, my big surprise of the season, the Red Wings will not be the worst team in the league. <laughs> and coming <laughs> from a Red Wings fan, setting the that's, bar high. That's a 
big surprise, okay? <laughs> Long playoff run. Now we're in this rebuild. And let me tell you, a lot of our picks over the last two years, they're not even in the majors yet. They're still developing. They're still overseas. We are bad, but we are not going to be the worst team in the league. And that will surprise a lot of people. Yeah, my uh, surprise or shock of the year will be that the Tampa Bay Lightning do not make the playoffs wow. in their division. That is a shocker. I, I think coming for where they are and where their players um, are going to be, I get nervous about uh, COVID in Florida and the Southern United States. And uh, I really think maybe by no fault of their own, outside circumstances may prevent them from potentially playing or players not playing. And I think, uh, I think they're going to be out of the playoffs. I don't think they're going to make it. Not buying the, uh, that the team is deeper than just Kucherov, eh? No way. That, he's it. All right, so my surprise of the season is in the Calder Trophy race. So you have a lot of hype over Lafreniere and Tim Sturzel in Ottawa. I don't think either of those two are going to win your Calder Trophy this year. No. This year's 2021 Rookie of the Year and Calder Trophy winner will be Kirill Kaprizov from the Minnesota Wild. 23-year-old rookie finally coming to North America after averaging a point a game in the KHL. He's going to make a massive difference for the Wild. I look for him to lead rookies in scoring and to take home the Calder Trophy. I'm just surprised you didn't pick Tim Strudel to take that. Well, his name is Sturzel. So. I, I got Paul here with the biggest stones going for the uh, the big, big shock of the, of the season right there. Biggest stones go to Paul. I mean, it's a big shock to everyone. I'll give him that because it's not going to happen. Just yeah, they lost Kucherov, and maybe COVID plays a part. But there's one thing we all know is that the league will find a way to put the Lightning in the playoffs. City of Champions, too. Don't forget. Don't underestimate that. Are you referring to the Rays? Rays, Lightning, Buccaneers, maybe soon? Who knows? Don't the Rays have to win something? American League Champions. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to our team predictions and let's get our four finalists, four semifinalists, which are our division winners. And then uh, if everyone can give your Stanley Cup champion. I'm going to just bang through them pretty quick here. In the Honda West division, I got the Colorado Avalanche taking it. I think that they're going to go pretty deep as well. And in the Mass Mutual East division, I got the Washington Capitals with uh, the grade eight, dumping a few dozy in the playoffs. The Discover Central, I got Tampa Bay. So sorry, Paul, that uh, kind of blows your shocker there. Very the central Scotia team. North. That very central team in Tampa Bay. Yeah, very central. And for the Scotia North Division, I got the Edmonton Oilers taking that one, which, I, like I said before, I got them taking it home, and I've got McDavid winning the Conn Smite there. I'll piggyback off that, Robbie, and say that the Avalanche will be coming out of that West Division. In the North, the Leafs are my pick to take that division. I think it's going to be a toss-up. I think the Canucks are going to surprise a few people. Yes, they lost Markstrom. But I do think the Leafs are going to pull through with that. And, and maybe I am picking the favorite, but there's reasons for that. The Islanders are going to surprise a lot of people. And the Carolina Hurricanes are also going to do the same thing. And there is going to be a drought that will finally disappear this year. And that's the New York Islanders are going to win the Stanley Cup. Oh, my. That's a hot take. All right. So my four semifinalists coming from the West will be the Vegas Golden Knights. Just too much experience there to uh, overthrow them. Um, the Central will be the Carolina Hurricanes. The East will be the Philadelphia Flyers. 
And coming out of the north, the Toronto Maple Leafs. The overall Stanley Cup winner will be led by Carter Hart, will be the Philadelphia Flyers. There's no winner. Well, guys, I, th- I think you've all picked some solid, solid teams there. I have to start out in the West. I'll continue that. I think Vegas has made some really good moves. I think uh, looking at the age of some of the other teams that they have to play on a regular basis, I think Vegas is coming out of there. Um, I think in the the East, I'm I'm really liking uh, the Islanders. I don't know why. I, I, usually, I always spit at the Islanders and I always make fun of them and know that uh, they're not going to be doing much. But uh, I have a feeling that this is kind of going to be a breakout year, especially with the alignment. I, I definitely don't like don't like the Red Wings at all. Uh, I would stay far clear of that. They may finish last, um, but I'd say, you know, Boston obviously is a solid team no matter what you look at. But I have to finalize my thoughts with this final, final thing. The Toronto Maple Leafs are going to win the North and not only win the North, but win the Stanley Cup. Watch for the parade. I can't believe this is going to happen. The stars have aligned because I have to think as a fan, if this isn't it, it might never happen. The roster and the money, if this isn't it this year, it will not happen for another 50 years. I have to believe it in my bones, boys. I know it's a, it's a selfish take, but the Toronto Maple Leafs are bringing the cup home. All right, there you have it, folks. We got the Leafs. We got the Flyers, we got the Islanders, and we have the Oilers predicted to win the Cup, which likely means none of them will. But we will revisit this in our NHL (laughs) review show come May. As of Sunday, there are 1,060 active COVID cases, which is actually down slightly in Niagara from Saturday, which set another record as the highest numbers for the region since the pandemic began. So as we enter lockdown week three here in Ontario, with news that schools are now not returning when originally planned, everyone is going through time at home once again. Always looking for ways to fill the time and look for entertainment. What show are you guys watching this week? You know, I'm watching uh, with my wife on Netflix. We kind of missed the boat, I guess, but Bridgerton, uh, which was just signed on for another eight seasons or so, or will be eight seasons in total. Uh, My wife uh, in let me know that that's how many books there are, which makes sense. But uh, yeah, we're just kind of, as soon as the baby goes down uh, at night around 7, 7.30, we are throwing that on, uh, binge-watched a couple episodes. Eh, it's okay. My wife really likes it. And if you like period pieces, that's pretty cool too. But uh, yeah, it's a good watch if you're looking to fill some time. I love how you said you missed the boat on it. I mean, it came out three weeks ago. Is that the world we're living in? You don't watch it in the first week or you're out of the race? Well, it was the most watched uh, series on Netflix of all time over Christmas, uh, specifically over the Christmas holidays. So, um, yeah, I would say I was I was late. Now, I'm not as late as Robbie missing Tiger King uh, well, in I've also March. Never, but... literally never heard of the show that you're talking about now. Never heard of it. So the boat, the ship has left the fucking ferry dock. It's <laughs> Maybe Robbie still has cable. So for me, uh, my wife and I, we're in about season 30 of Bubble Guppies, and uh, we're pretty deep into Thomas the Tank Engine as well, so those are, <laughs> those are big favorites in our house. Uh, no, but seriously, we've been watching The Boys on Amazon. I don't watch many television shows long format, but as someone who hates superhero movies and television shows, I think this is an excellent take on superhero movies. 
you have how superheroes are are different people behind closed doors and it's great and how it becomes an industry and, and then it's monopolized. It's such a great take. But for me, the big thing this week is I rewatched Tenant. Honestly, one of the best movies I've seen in the last decade. So I hit the mute button. I'm going to give a couple spoilers, but you got scenes moving forward, characters moving backwards. You got scenes moving backwards with characters moving forwards. Plenty of practical effects. They actually crashed that 747 into the building. That was not a visual effect. They actually did that. And when you think of how much had to be accounted for in terms of continuity with scenes happening before other scenes, characters knowing information that has taken place before, not mention designing a story that is so complex, the movie itself is a palindrome. It runs to the middle and then back to the ends, regardless of which direction you look at it. Absolute genius. I'm going to throw it back to the 80s with this take and recommend for any viewer out there, Cobra Kai. And if you are a Karate Kid fan, if you are looking for some 80s nostalgia, if you're looking for some of the worst acting in the history of television, watch Cobra Kai. It's easy. It's free-flowing. You get some great action karate scenes in there with Ralph Macchio. And it's highly recommended on my side. You'll enjoy it. All right, I'm going to give you something that's not streamable. Old-fashioned network television. After five weeks of waiting and thinking and wondering, are Brett and Casey going to bang? Is Atwater going to lose his badge? Well, we don't know. But five weeks ago, those were the questions that we were left with. And they were supposed to be answered this past week when the Chicago's were supposed to be back. But after what happened in Washington, they did not air. So this week, I am pumped and excited that the Chicago's, the Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, and Chicago PD are back, and we can finally, finally get our answers to those questions. I tell you, God, I love those Chicago's. They're all good. Well, maybe not law, but that's why I got weeded yeah, out. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Man, they're all good. The only problem is they go three weeks yeah. on a new episode. And they're gone. And then they're gone on a hiatus yeah, all know, of a sudden I know. for eight weeks or nine weeks. And then you get three more episodes. It's the most frustrating one to keep up with. But you're right. When you get them fresh and new, um, wow, they're good. Paul, and you, can't, the you, can't have these, you can't have these workers on the show, the crew members working all year round. You got to give them a break sometime, man. What are you doing? Well, you can work from home, no? Do we take a break, Robbie? No, we are here for our fans. Well, I'm a teacher, eh, guys? So I take a lot of breaks. <laughs> I'm not employed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're here with our lock of the week. This week, boy, do we have something special for you. We have a trifecta. What, Chris? That's right. I said a trifecta. That's given me three, not one, not two, but three bets to place. I am telling you that the Leafs will beat the Montreal Canadiens on Wednesday. Then the Leafs will beat the Ottawa Senators on Friday. And yes, the Leafs will beat the Ottawa Senators again on Saturday. Book it, bank it. The Leafs will be 3-0 this week. All right, we're going to move into a new segment called Two Cents for You, where we give our two cents to help you sharpen your knowledge on influential news items in sports and lifestyle. So I'm going to start with the Deshaun Watson Houston Texans saga. So reports are running rampant right now that Deshaun Watson may want out of Houston. Well, let's take a look at the anatomy of an upset quarterback and what exactly has transpired 
since the season ended. So it's customary, especially in the NFL, but in most sports organizations, that when you're hiring a new coach or a new general manager, that if you have a franchise player in this specific sport, a quarterback, that you do talk to them and you ask them for input and you involve them in the process. For example, when Sean McVay was hired in Los Angeles, uh, Jared Goff was part of that. At the time, Jared Goff was 0-7. So if they were including Jared Goff when he was 0-7, you would think that Deshaun Watson, one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, would be included. Not necessarily. Now, to understand why, we have to remember that the owner, CEO of the Houston Texans is Cal McNair. Why does that name sound familiar to you? Well, a couple years ago, when the players started protesting social injustice and they started talking about taking knees, he was the genius the astute individual that said that we can't let the inmates run the asylum. (laughs) Yes, that was him. So now we can start to gather the kind of mindset that this man who's running the organization has. So as you know, players talk and Mahomes is, is currently in Kansas city. He's the best quarterback in the NFL and he talks to Watson and they have an offensive coordinator named Eric Bieniemy, who is one of the top head coaching candidates around the league. So Mahomes tells Watson, yeah, like you're going to love him. You, you should want him in Houston. That's the guy that you want to get. He's basically telling, you know, advocating for Eric Bieniemy. So reports are that Watson relayed that information to the Texans owner. So you would think that that would influence the Texans owner to possibly hire him. And if not hire him, at least give him a good look. Well, would it surprise you to know that Eric Bieniemy interviewed with five NFL teams this past week for their head coaching job. There's six teams in the league that have a vacancy. The Houston Texans are the only team that has a vacancy that did not call Eric Bieniemy for an interview. It costs you nothing to interview somebody. You get on a Zoom, especially this year, because you get on a Zoom call, you hop on there, you get to ask the Chiefs offensive coordinator questions about your team. You gather intel. At the very least, you get to gather what other teams think about your team. You then begin to understand how to go about with your new coach and how the perception of your team is around the league. You should be interviewing 20 to 25 people. And you should at least interview the guy that your franchise quarterback wants you to interview. Now, if all that wasn't bad enough, the final straw for me He hired a general manager, Nick Casario, from the Patriots, player personnel director from the Patriots, is now the GM of the Houston Texans, which rumors are Deshaun Watson did not want somebody from the Patriots, did not want specifically him, but at the end of the day, it's not Deshaun Watson's decision. I get that. He wanted to have input. It is what it is. At the press conference, Cal McNair is talking. He gets asked about the input and all the rumors about Deshaun Watson, and he gets asked about... Uh, whether they had input. And to me, the biggest spit in the face, he referred to Watson and Watt in his interview as 4 and 99. Didn't call them by their names. He referenced 4 and 99. We're not talking about players on other teams. We're not even talking about run-of-the-mill players on your team. We're talking about franchise players that should have their names on the stadium retired by the end of their career, let alone referenced by name in a press conference. To me, with no respect from McNair towards his players, 
I believe Watson has every right to request a trade. No, demand a trade. And I think other players are watching, and I think there's a long road to recovery here for the Houston Texans franchise. Yeah, that's a, that's an, an excellent take there, Chof. Uh, it's interesting how the CEO uh, not only compared them to inmates, it seems to be when he calls them by their jersey number, he's referring to an inmate number. So a little lack of respect there. Actually, a giant lack of respect there. This organization is one of the worst organizations and franchises in the history of sports. Not just the NFL, but in the history of sports. And this is just one of many situations where this has happened. Yes, they didn't go out of their way to interview the enemy. But the point is, they could have. They could have done anything, like you said. And, and I have to admit, you know, you said that maybe you should interview 20 to 29 people. If any coach out there says, yeah, listen, your team is shit and this is what you need to do to change it, they probably wouldn't be on my hiring list. And they would gracefully switch the answer to, you know, it doesn't matter where you were, but let me tell you where I'm going to take your team. And that's where you're going to get the next 25, you know, candidates being a winner for your team. But what I will say is, you know, when we, we all know the top 50 employers in Ontario and in Canada, and you want to work for those companies and those franchises. The Houston Texans are the bottom of the NFL when it comes to people you would like to work for. And if J.J. Watt wasn't there and if he wasn't doing the things he was doing for the city of Houston, nobody would be there at all because there is no promoter for that team. And as soon as Deshaun leaves... It's going to be one dark era for the Houston Texans. Probably pretty good era for the Tennessee Titans and everyone else in the AFC South, but yeah. All right, so as we know, a group of protesters stormed the United States Capitol building, smashing windows, destroying property, and beating police officers on their way in. Protesters were heard chanting, quote, hang Mike Pence, and after they left, the words murder the media were written on a door in the Capitol building. One woman was shot and killed, and since then, a U.S. Capitol Police officer has died as a result of his wounds while on duty during the siege. Now, the protest started with the direction of President Trump calling for Americans to challenge the results of the election and, quote, take back your country. Since then, Twitter suspended Trump's account and instructed him to remove two questionable tweets that went against their rules of conduct. He erased the tweets, and Friday night, Twitter permanently banned President Trump. Now, Twitter has some rules here, and I have them directly from their website. Quote, Twitter's purpose is to serve the public conversation. Violence, harassment, and other similar types of behavior discourage people from expressing themselves and ultimately diminish the value of global public conversation. Our rules are to ensure all people can participate in the public conversation freely and safely. End quote. So I've outlined two specific parts here in their rules, and the first one is violence, which they say... You may not threaten violence against an individual or a group of people. We also prohibit the glorification of violence. The next is terrorism slash violent extremism. You may not threaten or promote terrorism or violent extremism. Not counting what Trump tweeted the other day, going in the past, I have two simple quick examples here of ways he broke those rules a long time ago. For violence, quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Right there, that breaks the violence rules. Terrorism and violent extremism. Quote, The United States just spent $2 trillion on military equipment. We are the biggest and by far the best in the world. If Iran attacks an American base or any American, we will be sending some of that brand new beautiful equipment their way and without hesitation. End quote. 
These are just two examples of tweets that could have gotten banned in the past for breaking the rules, and we don't have nearly enough time on this show to get into the many times he incited violence directly at rallies, which resulted in physical harm to non-Trump supporters. But my point here is that a lot of people are arguing that this is an infringement on Trump's and others' First Amendment of free speech. Now, I'm a firm believer in protecting the right to free speech, but there's some controversy on the subject. And here's what it comes down to. Twitter is a private company. They have rules and a user agreement you have to accept before you can continue to use your account. They can choose to let whoever they want use their service, and the same goes for banning them. That is the beauty of a free country. If you don't like the rules, go and make your own Twitter or Facebook. No one's stopping you. And all this garbage about Parler not being available on the App Store and Google Store is silly. People acting like it's infringing on their rights. I hate to break it to you people, but having a Gmail or Twitter account or owning an iPhone or any smartphone is not a right in any way whatsoever. It is very much a privilege. Once again, if you don't like it, go make your own smartphone. That's the beauty of the world we live in. And a great quote I found in regards to all of this. When the government controls speech, that's fascism. When a company controls speech, that's capitalism. And all these people that want the government to do something about big tech and their ability to censor who they feel, as soon as the government steps in and starts telling Twitter and Facebook and Apple who they can let use their own property, that would be the government controlling speech. And we can't have that. Not now. Not ever. Yeah, Robbie, you make some really great points. And I see where you're coming from. And I, I wholly agree um, with what you've outlined from the uh, Twitter's uh, web pages and and things that Trump said is a despicable human being and the things that he's done and said over these four well actually four plus years even during Obama I totally I totally see where you're coming from the the only caveat I have is from their mission statement uh, when it says to give everyone the power to create and share ideas and inform and information instantly without barriers. Our business and revenue will always follow that mission in ways that improve and do not detract from a free and global conversation. So really to me, that points out is the conversation when you start kind of censoring some people or shutting down certain people. Um, perhaps there isn't a conversation there, but I would say that uh, you make really great points about the difference between government censorship and private enterprise censorship. I would say the only concern is that these companies are immune from any sort of liability issues uh, due to these censorship practices. So um, if they decide to take tweets out, it's wholly their discussion. I get what you're saying about different platforms, but I'm concerned that there's just no recourse for the average person to be able to say, hey, actually, no, I'm going to bring you to court. I shouldn't be censored. And uh, you're going to actually have to pay me for all the hardships you've caused. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I like what you said. And your take is, uh, it's not a hot take. It's the right take. But I just see these kind of little caveats here where we, the conversation has to go there perhaps rather than defending certain people over other people. It's just maybe the way in which people can um, restore or get things back. Yeah, I hear what you're saying there, but never forget that when you never, well, me personally, never read the user agreement and hit accept, you're under their rules now. I'm going to throw a statistic at you. 2.7 billion. That's how many monthly active users there were in the second quarter of 2020 for Facebook. Now, we can say, yes, it's a private organization. We can say it's capitalism. You can say anything you want. 
But at the end of the day, if we have a global reach on social media that can touch literally the entire population, and especially in North America, then at that stage, there is an ownership and a culture to be said where if you're limiting or censoring someone, that becomes potentially a problem because you're pushing your agenda. And while we may say, and, and to your point, it's their agenda, they can do what they want, but it's a dangerous line that you're going to cross when you do that. You don't like the agenda, log off. It's very simple. The choice is in your hand. All right, guys, I want to talk to you about my two cents regarding the Toronto Raptors. You know, I have to admit I was a casual fan before 2019. I, I enjoyed watching them with the boys, you know, having a drink, a pizza. It's on the TV, no problem. Watching their highlights, watching the playoffs if they made it. Um, but I think that's my perspective by and large of the entire NBA. Just haven't been a real fan in the hierarchy of Toronto sports. For me, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, followed by the Jays, then um, the Raptors and TFC kind of in the basement there for me. Uh, but, you know, after 2019, I can't believe how passionate I was and what a championship can do to the average person, the average fan. And 2020 was just as good, you know, unfortunately in the bubble with everything that had to happen, the pause and the way they went out to the Celtics, I, um, I was heartbroken and now I'm just devastated. And I'm wondering what, the Toronto Raptors have to do uh, aside from their last game, putting up 144 points of, of godly numbers, right? They're sitting there with a two and six record. It's not looking bright ahead of them. And uh, you know, I know there's things that they're dealing with. Okay. Some people are pointing out uh, some pundits are pointing out that permanently being in the United States is having an effect on these players that they don't actually have any home games. They're living out of hotels. But, um, you know, for me as a Canadian, that's watching American sports all the time. I have a hard time coming to grips with the fact that these players actually view Toronto as home. I think they have a condo that they either rent or buy. Um, and then as soon as they're traded, it's gone. They have no ties, uh, other than, uh, their, what they have to do with their contracts. So I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, sorry, I don't buy that argument that it's because they're in the States that they're out of hotels all the time, um, that they're not playing well. Uh, I'm looking at their field goal percentages and Chris Boucher is leading the league in field goal percentage. Um, the number seven man, maybe, um, Norm Powell, you need that. All strong teams have that sixth man that can come on that court, duke it out, fight it out and put, points up. And, and quite frankly, other than their top five, the next five aren't putting up anything. And I'm wondering how deep are the Toronto Raptors actually, when you look at it on paper and on the hard court and do they have the, they seem to be a little soft, a little complainy. Um, you know, maybe I'm just jaded as a Toronto sports fan. But I look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Blue Jays because I've really focused on them. And it seems like every year they either tried to go with depth and have really good camaraderie amongst their players or they tried to put their thumb in the dike and get some really good player and, hey, that's all we got to do. But really, boys, I'm not seeing it. I don't know what they're going to do. I think that they have to go out and pick up somebody if they actually want to salvage the season. But hey, maybe they're sitting back 
and saying, Nick Nurse and, and the rest of management saying, you know what? Let's get through the season. We've signed some pieces. Ananobi, we've signed um, Pascal Siakam, Van Vliet. We've got these guys under contract for a few years. Let's just ride this out. I'm not sure if that's what they're doing. If they are, hey, maybe a good draft pick. And I would just like some, some clarity from upper management saying, hey, we're going to do what we can, which is really code for we're not going to go for it this year. We're looking past when we're back in Toronto or whatever. But what, what do you guys think? Now, I'm just coming at this as a brand new fan, obviously a longtime Toronto sports fan. As I said, that may make me a little jaded. But uh, Chris, I know you're, uh, you've been a ride or die Toronto uh, Raptors fan. What, what, do you, what do you think's going on here? I think that they put a lot into next year's free agency. So they were willing to take a risk this year with some of their signings or lack thereof signings when they let Ibaka and Gasol go. Um, time will tell long-term now that Giannis has signed in Milwaukee long-term, if that was worth it, you know, Kawhi's a free agent again next year. If they think that maybe they might be able to get him back at this point, I don't think that there is anything that should be done. I think that they kind of have to ride the wave right now for a little bit and, and kind of see how the season goes. And then as they approach the trade deadline, they can start thinking about moving people. But as far as January and February goes, I think you just have to see, see if the team can gel and see if Nurse can figure out something um, to do. You know, in the game against the Warriors here, he's changed it. He's changed up the starting lineup. He's got Siakam playing center um, the other night there against the Warriors. So we'll see if that sparks a new rotation and what happens from it. But, uh, you know, there's not much that can be done on the spot right now. So earlier this week, when Donald Trump was removed from Twitter, his son, Donald Trump Jr., tweeted a response. He said, we're living in Orwell's 1984. Free speech no longer exists in America. And while Robbie touched on this very slightly, I want to take it a step back. Because to me, when Donald Trump Jr. said this, he wasn't just talking about free speech. He was talking about us currently living in a dystopian world. And for those of you who haven't read the book or in you know, Robbie's case, probably not watched the movie. Wow. The disrespect. Wow. Unbelievable. Orson Welles' 1984 is a dystopian novel where in the very first chapter, we're introduced to the thought police and the main character, Winston, who starts a diary, which is punishable by death. And so going back to you know, Trump Jr.'s tweet and the question, are we currently living in a dystopian world? Not just a censored one you know, raises some big questions. And some examples of, you know, what we've really noticed throughout COVID, the idea of a thought police, you know, Trump being removed from Twitter was just one of many items. Curfews. And we've seen this around the world, in Malaysia, in China, in California, and as close as Quebec. The inability to move freely. We're even going on a trip outside of this country we have to take a COVID test three days prior to and have a negative result before entering back into the country of our birth. Now, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. And while the similarities are starting to gain traction, here's why we aren't living in a dystopian world. The idea of the thought police, to Robbie's point earlier, is that we're using a social media platform that is privatized. It's not so much about free speech. We're not going out there to share thoughts and ideas that are negative and can incite violence because that's not what it's meant for. And that's not the world that we're living in either. Curfews are there, but they're short term. The end is in sight. 
for all those negative people who are out there, vaccines are here and it's giving us a lot of hope. And our freedom of movement isn't as limited as some of the more negative people would suggest. I can still go to Costco, I can go to Walmart, I can go to pretty much any shop. And if I can't go there physically, I can go there virtually online. And I can buy anything I want with no limitations to a degree. I'm still waiting on a treadmill from Christmas, but that's okay because it will arrive soon. And so when we look at this idea of the dystopian world and what Donald Trump Jr. was tweeting about censorship and everything else, at the end of the day, that's just someone who was personally affected by something and they're taking a very negative take on it. But there is hope. And there's hope that with COVID, we are going to see some vaccines. We are going to see herd immunity. We are going to get back to the idea or whatever close to as normal as possible is, you know, when we look at the past. And we're almost there. And so, no, we're not living in dystopia. This is still utopia. And we're going to be riding a high in a matter of months. So let's wait. Let's be patient. And we're going to get there together. Dan, I'd love to know what a fucking utopia looks like to you. I got a, I got a few points here. Like I said before, A, no one's limiting your free speech. They're just saying you can't do it here. B, we definitely aren't in a utopia, so we must be in a dystopia. C, I think I remember hearing back in May of last year, we were almost there. D, wouldn't it be a lot easier if you didn't have that treadmill, if you could just go outside and fucking walk? But soon you won't be able to do that. Hey, we live in winter, eh? And my wife wants a treadmill so she can walk in the winter in the comfort of her basement. Don't blame your wife, Dan. Yeah, that's that, that was a that low was not blow. good. All right, we're gonna move into our last segment of the show, which will likely end a lot of our shows. It's a weekly trivia contest between the four of us on topics that we discussed today. Please play along at home and send us your scores on Twitter at, at Steel Sharpened on Twitter. So Paul's going to lead us on trivia today. Uh, the weekly winner each week will be the leader and they will not compete for that week for the trophy. So Paul, take us away. Perfect. Thanks, Chris. Uh, as you mentioned last week, I was the bell of the ball. I think I got a solid two questions out of uh, five, right? Uh, or oh, perhaps even three. I'm even underestimating myself, but here we go, boys. Uh, the first question is, Canada has hosted the most amount of World Junior Hockey Tournaments. That number is 12, 15, 17, or 19. Robbie, we'll start with you. I'm going to go high here. I'm going 19, one-niner. I'm going to go 17 in honor of a couple of friends of the show. I'm going to go with a respectable 15. And ding, 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 one on the board, Dan Carbone with 15 times. Oh, come on! <laughs> My ears. <laughs> Question number two. Which NFL passer has thrown the most interceptions in a single season? Was it A, George Blanda, B, Brett Favre, C, Troy Aikman, or D, John Haddle? I think I know a lot about this right here. I'm going to go... Brett Favre. I'm going to go the ageless wonder, George Blanda. I'm going with Brett Favre. Just copier. Ding, ding, ding. Two out of three, Brett Favre has thrown the most interceptions over a career. Dan, Dan's uh, got two right right now. This is pretty Dan's good. Dan's on two. He's Flawless. doing pretty well. 
Okay. The third question is, which Super Bowl ad costs the most amount of money to make? Number one, Amazon Echo, Alexis loses her voice. Number two, Chrysler, bring it back to Detroit. Number three, Bud Light, up for whatever. And number four, Pepsi, Doritos versus Mountain Dew battle. Just because it's my life motto, I'm going with Bud Light, up for whatever. Um, I'm going to say Pepsi. I feel like, uh, I don't remember the commercial, but two soda pops battling one another. That's That's got to cost, cost a lot of money and visual effects there, no? <laughs> I'm going to agree and go with Bud Light. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, too bad. There's an offer there. It was Amazon Echo Alexis loses her voice with just over costed just over 14 million dollars that's absurd they're just looking for a fucking tax write-off how did it cost them so much all they had to do was put a blank alexa in front of them didn't have to speak (laughs) and question number four and if not if i'm not mistaken if dan gets this right he wins so question number four is what percentage of u.s adults use twitter is it a 16 percent B, 17%, C, 22%, or D, 23%. Go ahead, Dan. I want to know what you're going to throw out there. I like even numbers, so I'm going with 22%. I I also like even numbers, so I'm going to go with 23%. 23%. And the answer is 22% of adults. Wow. Hey, let's hear the fifth question. Hey, let's hear the fifth question so I can rack up my point tally. This is bogus because Dan copied my Brett Favre answer. This is garbage. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Question number five. Which NBA player has the highest single season field goal percentage other than this year? Is it A, Rudy Gobert, B, Mark West, C, DeAndre Jordan, or D, Bo Outlaw? DeAndre Jordan. I feel like Chof knows a lot about this, so I'm going to copy him and say DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan. Just sit under the rack and get buckets. Wow. And here we are, gentlemen. All three of you would have got that right. Good thing it didn't come to that because I didn't have a sixth. (laughs) Hard hard to uh, miss when you're just dunking. That's all you do, eh? And I'll tell you, he was the highest at 66.9%. Last year, field goal percentage, he's only surpassed by himself this year, right now sitting in the mid-70s. Wow. (laughs) Good for him. Impressive. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up this week's episode. In the world with so many listening options, thank you so much for listening to our opinion on what's going on in the world this week. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and have a fucking blast. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.